Let's do the radial nerve. The radial nerves from the posterior cord lies behind the axilla. So it can be compressed with an irritating crutch. And you get a paralysis called crutch paralysis. So it can be compressed in the posterior wall of the axilla. Okay. Now this descends with the axillary artery, then enters the arm. First line behind, first line in the front, then goes to the back of the arm. It runs in the groove at the back of the humerus, or the radial groove. Then comes to the lateral side of the arm. Between two muscles, the brachialis and the brachioradialis. You split open that muscle, you see the radial. Then at the lateral epicondyle, this nerve divides into a superficial branch that comes all the way down and a deep branch that goes to the back. And once it goes to the back, it goes under a muscle called spinnaker. I want all of you to take a hand like this. Put it against your palna. No, against your palna, not here. 
the radial nerve. The radial nerve runs under this muscle. It can be compressed there. So the muscle can compress the nerve and produce a syndrome. What is the name of that syndrome? Supinator syndrome. Okay? Next to this, this is how the supinator starts from the arena. And then goes around the radius, clasps it completely. So when you extend your fingers, when you sort of pull it towards your hand, it, it is supinated. Same thing with the biceps. Biceps inserts into the radius. So when it contracts, the first action is supinated. Okay, so it goes into the radial groove, you can see in the hand. Then comes to the front and then it divides into two branches, the superficial running in front of the lateral side of the aura. And this same superficial will go here and supply the lateral half of the dorsal, skin of it, sensation, and one, two, three and a half digits sensory supply but not to the nail beds because the nail beds would get the nerve from the front so here you will get median nerve for the thumb for the index for the middle and half for the ring finger so the median nerve not only supplies the front completely but also comes back to the back and supplies the terminal balance. So if your index finger nail bed is infected and you get pain, what nerve carries that pain? Medium. But if your middle phallus has got a cut and you feel the pain, the middle phallus of the index finger have a cut and it's painful. What nerve carries the pain? Depends on the side. Huh? Depends on the side. I'm telling you, depends on what side. You know, on the index finger, the which side, radial side. That's the torso, yeah. Okay? In the middle phallus of the index finger, which nerve supplies it? The skin. Radial. Radial. But the nail bed is medial. So you've got to look at the picture. You have to look at these pictures given in your physical location. You have dermatome, you have shaded portions, and you know how it is supplied this Okay, so this innervates the triceps and also 
the extensors of the wrist which lie at the back. Now there's a whole lot of muscles at the back. I'm not getting into which means. These are called extensors of the wrist, which are taking origin from the bones of the forearm, the posterior aspect, across the wrist, and then get into the digits to extend the digits and the wrist. And injury to the radial nerve, you get no extension of the wrist. So the wrist is flexed, drops. Okay, what are the branches? A quick look at the branches. Don't look at this diagram, but this what it is. In the axilla, when the nerve comes off from the posterior cord, it gives a branch to the long head of the triceps in the axilla. Okay? High up in the axilla. It also gives a nerve called posterior to nerve of Short PCA and supplies the back of the skin. Yeah. And then it enters the spiral groove and it gives off the other head, medial head of the triceps. It runs with the other So it gives off a supply before the spiral groove, it gives off a supply to the medial head of the triceps. And then it enters the spiral groove and supplies both lateral and medial. So, medial head is supplied two times. One before the groove, one in the groove. It also supplies a small muscle at the back, called the anconius. That's a small little muscle called anconius. That's very easy And then in the PCN, that is posterior cutaneous nerve of forearm. So, there's a nerve supplying the back of forearm. And the lower lateral cutaneous nerve of the arm. You know when you lose axillary nerve, you lost the low sensations here at the top of the shoulder. So when the radial nerve is you lose sensations lower down at the arm. Higher up the arm, axillary nerve. Lower at the arm, radial. Arm, I mean arm, not forearm. So when you have an injury to the radial nerve in the spiral groove, why doesn't it affect complete extension? And why is extension not completely lost? Why is extension of the elbow not lost when the nerve is injured in the groove? Now where is the groove? Which part of the humerus you have the groove? Shaft, middle of the shaft. Where, where is the axilla? Way up. So in the axilla you get a nerve which goes to long head of triceps. Now the nerve gets injured further away from that in the groove. So the long head gets its nerve. So the long head is still active. So that's why you don't lose extension of the arm when you get weakness. At different levels, you cut the nerve, you get different degrees of functionalities. That is what you should be able to figure out by the time you finish the approach. The lower limb is pretty easy. Upper limb will get most of the questions. So that's the answer. 
why we do not get complete loss, extinction when the nerve is injured in the spiral groove. It's because the longer of triceps is still active, gets the nerve there. Okay, this is in a nutshell the various levels of injury to the radial A proximal lesion in the axilla, it can occur when there is a crutch compression against the posterior wall of the axilla. So you can get what? Symptoms. Loss of elbow extension because that nerve is gone now. So all the three heads of the triceps do not function anymore. So we get complete loss of elbow extension. Then the forearm extends a loss so you get a drop risk. So the complete loss of elbow extension is because of loss of triceps and the extensors of the wrist as well as sensory disturbance because both you don't get any sensations in the back there. Now the mid lesion, this is what happens in the sulcus or the groove. Weakness in extension, not loss. See loss of elbows extension when it's higher up, but in the middle you get weakness and you also get drop wrist still you get sensitive disturbances. The third part of the nerve can get compressed in, under the supinator. I told you about this. I told you how I place this nerve. It goes under the supinator and comes out. It can be compressed in the supinator syndrome. So when that happens, you don't get loss of extension of the elbow because the nerve is still active proximally. You probably get a weak wrist extension you don't get any sensory disturbances because it's already given off those nerves before it can get compressed. Right? Those nerves have already come out of the nerve and then only the nerve has gone into the supinator muscle and got compressed. So the three levels of lesion we must know. Proximal, middle, distal. Axillary nerve, you have a quite a bit about this. It goes through the quadrangular space, winds around the surgical nerve, along with the posterior surgical injured in dislocation. So it supplies the deltoid to use minor, the skin over the shoulder here. The injury produces loss of abduction and shoulder joint, a small patch of anesthesia over the arm. And also weakness in Lateral rotation. Why weakness in lateral rotation? Not loss of lateral rotation, but weakness. There's a difference between complete loss and weakness. So what are the two muscles, which are the main lateral rotators of the arm? Supraspinatus is an abductor. You said infraspinatus? Yes, you're right. Anything else? Anything else? Huh? See, that's the problem. You're not red. You have to be, even before you come to the back, yes. Very good. There is minor, the infraspinatus. You also said the same thing. Yeah. Okay, these are the two muscles which laterally rotate. Now, if both are gone, you cannot laterally rotate. 
give me a lesion where both are gone. We done that question. Just a few slides in the first session. We did the breaking plexus, right? And we did a paralysis. We did a point on the breaking plexus. Herbs. Herbs point. So what nerve in the herbs point is damaged to produce complete loss of lateral rotation? C5, C6. Supraspinate, suprascapular nerve. And the nerve getting into the posterior cord and going to the axillary nerve. So the axillary nerve is lost. Supraspinal, suprascapular nerve is lost. So if the axillary nerve is lost, what lateral rotator is lost? Teres minor. If the suprascapular nerve is lost, what lateral rotator is lost? Infraspinal. So that's why the nerve's paralysis. We have complete loss of lateral rotation, whereas over here, in axillary nerve paralysis, you only have the TDS minor that's gone, so you get weakness. Thoracodorsal nerve from C6, C7, C8 supplies lateral dorsing, so they cannot adapt the arm, so the patient is not able to walk properly with the crutches in the He cannot raise himself using the arms. Then the upper subscapular, lower subscapular nerve, they do not give that much of a symptom because you've got bigger adapters which adapt. Ectralis major, is major, like the classic, they adapt. So subscapular is basically is not such a great adapter. But it can give rise to destabilized shoulder joints. The chances of dislocating are very great in case of subscapularis because it completely kisses the head of the uterus and holds it. Now that is weak. The chances of it coming out is great. So these are the three nerves. You see, you see the musculocutaneous nerve, you see the medial nerve here. And then you see the alma nerve going all the way down to the hand. If you have a look at it carefully, you will see the branches right now. It's not even possible for you to know everything. But as we go and take, take each nerve and follow it, you'll understand what I said today. Okay, sympathetic connection. I told you sympathetics is something like this. They have seen only in the thoracolumbar outfit. You see the edge matter, edge-shaped gray matter. This is the anterior horn. That's the posterior horn. Anterior horn is motor, posterior horn is sensitive. But in some parts of the thoracic segment of the spinal cord, you get an extra horn there. That is called lateral horn. From the lateral horn, you get a set of fibers. One is called the pre-ganglion that enters here. And it either synapses in these ganglion, or it goes up one step or one down step. It goes down without synapsis. Synapsis at a higher level. Once it synapses, 
you get what is called post ganglion. You see, these fibers are coming out from the spinal cord, so they drag the sheet of myelin. So they are white in color. These are called the white ranaikam. Once they synapse, they shed the myelin. And then they go out naked without the myelin. And so they are green ranaikam. So, autonomic nervous system is sympathetic, parasympathetic. It's purely motor. You get two sets of neurons. One neuron starts, synapses, second neuron starts and goes and meets the target. <coughs> it's a pre-ganglion, post-ganglion. These fibers, sympathetics, they go up from T2 to T6, they go up, they go through C5, C6 loops, through the middle of superior cervical ganglion. There are three ganglion connected, superior inferior. So from the superior, you see that it goes to the eye, to the dilator pupillae of the eye. So if your T1 fibers are pulled off and plumped these paralysis, then you come to the next slide. One can develop dilatation of the eye as one of the symptoms of honor syndrome. So sympathetics is there. Uh, this is Right now, you'll be lost when you need it. You best not get it. If the sympathetics are damaged, you will get something called honor syndrome. And this is connected with the enemy. What are the six symptoms or signs that is seen in honor syndrome? Honor syndrome indicates injury to the cervical sympathetic nerves. So, the pupil cannot dilate because the dilator pupil is lost. Okay, if you have muscles in the pupil, in the iris, which are this way, okay, that's the pupil. That's the iris musculature. Now, if these muscle fibers contract, what will happen to the diameter? Dilate, right? So these are supplied by sympathetics. On the other hand, you have circular muscles, they contract, it constricts. So the circular muscles are parasympathetic. The radial muscles are sympathetic. So sympathetics are gone, parasympathetics take over, so you get something called constriction of pupil, which is also called meiosis. The second thing that can happen is drooping. Your upper eyelids are sort of always kept open. Unless I'm so boring in my class, very tight Two muscles in the body, which I can encounter, are supplied by skeletal I'm not talking about the gut muscles, I'm talking about skeletal muscles. How many times a minute do you breathe? Do you keep count of it? 15. You don't keep count of it. When you have been in low 15 times, 17 times, you don't concentrate on what I think. So it is in your unconscious state of mind. Your diaphragm is working. So that is sympathetic. But if you want to take a deep breath, your 
forcefully contracting your diaphragm. You want to take in a deep breath and air enters inside. And that is tilted, right? <laughs> now, like I said, if your your sympathetics are not active, like if your parasympathetics are more active, especially taking a glass at two o'clock in the afternoon after you have a good lunch, you tend to drop, to drop, to sleep. And that is because your sympathetic activity is given way for parasympathetic. Like I said, if your sympathetics are active, you will be attention, you will be at attention all the time. Your eyelids have got two nerves that supply the muscles. One is oculomotor, third cranial nerve. The muscle of the upper eyelid is oculomotor. The other one is sympathetics. Now, if the oculomotor nerve is damaged because of some head injury, then the complete upper eyelid will shut down on your eyeball. So you get a complete Spread with the teeth. But in the sympathetics, you get a partial process. So you get process. What is N of thalmos? Now, this is our terminology which I give Heard of X of thalmos? Anywhere? Hmm? Outside the eye. Outside the eye? Bulging eyes. In thyrotoxic goitres, thyrotoxicosis, where the thyroid gland produces more thyroxine, in those patients you find eyes bulging up. The tuber, the, if you press your eyeball, you feel the tension it's because of fluid inside. Now that can protrude up. So that is exophthalmos. On the other hand, enophthalmos is sunken. Sunken eye is enophthalmos. So again, because of sympathetic behind the eyeball. Then the retinal vessels are dilated, more sympathetic action. You don't sweat because sweat glands are supplied by sympathetics. On the same side of the patient's neck, you don't sweat. So that's called anhydrosis or anhydrosis. And finally, you get something called a loss of serial spinal reflex. If you pinch, somebody else's neck and then put a torch in the eye and pinch it and see there will be a dilatation This is a test of patient is feigning unconsciousness or is really unconscious or if there is still an activity a set of life inside it's called the ascending reticular activating system so that works so even though you are unconscious, you are actually alive. And when you pinch the neck, it should dilate. So dilates, that means, you know, other causes. It's not neural damage. So sympathetic loss, you don't get any dilatation. So remember the six signs and symptoms. Honor syndrome, which can occur with the kind of paralysis called the clumpies paralysis. You get birth brachial plexus injuries, these are birth injuries that can occur or fall on the shoulder where the upper roots of the brachial plexus can be torn. 
We get those paralysis and quantum paralysis. These are the two things that we need to see. When he's falling off, that is sort of a branch, there's hyperabduction of the arm. In that case, what happens? The lower roots are pulled off. This is also a childhood. Okay, Herb's point, in the point where you get 5, 6, supraskatalar nervous upgrades, and I think it gives you close to the Six nerves meet. If there's traction, you get a symptom, you get a paralysis called herbutian paralysis. So, the arm hangs by the side. So, there's a loss of abduction. Because, axillary nerve is gone. So, abduction is gone. Suprascapular nerve is gone. So, supraspinatus cannot initiate abduction. Nor does the delta. So, arm hangs by the side. Second, it's medially rotated. Because the axillary nerve is injured and the suprascapular nerve is injured, both the lateral rotators are lost. Infraspinatus and tedious minor. So that's why the whole arm is rotated. Musculocutaneous nerve is also involved because of C5C6 upper roots. So your biceps doesn't flex, the brachialis doesn't flex, and there will be weak supination. So Loss of supination, paralysis of biceps, but supinator can be done by supination can be done by the supinator. Yes. Okay. And then you have a shoulder adduction again. Half hangs by the side, the shoulder adduction safety. And fourth arm is pronated because the supination is lost. The main big supinator is lost. That is biceps. So arm hangs by the side. Elbow extended, inner rotation, but there's nothing wrong with your wrist. Flexors of the wrist are perfect. So there he goes, asking for tips, <laughs> selling black tickets, or whatever. That's called the greatest tip position. Okay, so when does it occur? Upper trunk, upper shins. Next is the donkeys. Hyper extended arm, the lower trunk can be injured. There's retraction, or it can also occur when there's a malignant metastasis of the lung going to the cervical node, which lie along the region of the neck of the frustrate. Or even if there's a tumor that is compressing upon the thoracic nerve, first thoracic nerve. If you should remember one thing, the first thoracic nerve comes from below T1, between T1 and T2. So it gets into the first intercostal space. But it does not contribute to the intercostal space at all, except in those muscles for some reasons. It has to climb over the neck of the first rib and joins the root. So you see, it is going above the rib to join C8. So the chances of it getting compressed is greater. So you get claw hand, loss of intrinsic uh, innovation to the intrinsic muscles of the hand. How do you get claw hand? Infrastructure, are gone. So, there is no flexion at MCP and no extension at interphalangeal joints. Instead, there is extension at MCP and flexion at interphalangeal This produces what is called blocking. And loss of sensations wherever the lower trunk is supplied. So, you get medial continuous nerve of the arm, so medial center arm is lost, medial center forearm is lost. And even the 
hand or the heart, maybe a heart, and even the little finger, you don't have any sensation. So, honor syndrome, we just saw what honor syndrome was. Because sympathetics ascend to P1, you get into the, the big amniotic ascend to P1 and go to the previous survival amniotic, so they are interrupted. And so you cannot, uh, you have all those symptoms, honor syndrome. Remember that, remember upper trunk, first paralysis, what are the features? Adapted arm, medially located arm, extended arm, pronated forearm, nothing wrong with moments at the wrist and fingers. Okay, so that is a beauty paralysis. Clunkies, you have claw hand, loss of sensation over the medial aspect of complete upper and also honors syndrome. This is the brachial plexus block when they can inflict solution there in different ways. You can approach it supraclavicle, you know, above the clavicle. And uh, what is the landmark that sometimes is very useful to block the brachial plexus? It's known as scalpel. Qualified process. That can be felt and immediate with that, you can inject into the neck. or thoracic outlet syndrome, it can occur because of the narrow gap in scalene's anterior and medius, compressed bursted, compressed subclearing artery, compressed lower trunk produces uh, signs, neurological symptoms, and vascular symptoms. Cervical ribs sometimes can occur when there's an extra rib coming from the seventh cervical vertebra. In which case, the lower trunk will have to go over that extra rib, so it can get compression. There's an interesting feature, even though cervical rib is reported, lumbar ribs are more frequent. Lumbar ribs, lumbar vertebrae may have ribs, but they don't produce any symptoms. So because the cervical rib produces symptoms, you are able to and then testing for a thoracic outlet syndrome. East test, elevated arm stress test. Elevated arm stress test. You ask the patient to lift up his arms slightly above the head, behind the head, and open and close the fist. Sometimes he would feel pain, heaviness, or weakness in his arm, a tingling and numbness. Absence test. This is another test that is performed for this kind of uh, thoracic outlet syndrome. What they do is ask the patient to turn the neck to the side he's testing and ask them to extend the neck. And after, if, if it is positive, there won't be any radial pulse. The pulse will disappear on that side, on the same side. So that is called absence test. Remember the two tests that you do for thoracic outlet syndrome. And what is the blood vessel that is compressed? Subclavian artery. As it crosses to become the axillary artery. What are the nerves that can be affected in POS? The first thoracic nerve as it joins the brachial plexus crossing over the rib. People with the POS would never be able to lift heavy suitcases or heavy things. 
Will there be any sensory loss? Yes. Sensory loss where? At the back of arm or back of forearm? Back of forearm. Back of forearm. Back of arm. Higher arm. The supinatus syndrome. In the supinatus syndrome, who do you get? This drug? You will get weakness of the extension. Weakness in the extension. Not a complete arises. Then what do you get? Loss of sensations. So what is your objective is to go through these slides and level the lesions based on what there. So lesion higher up, lesion in the middle, lesion in the lower. Same way with the median. So injuries would be supracondylar fracture and capital. One is proximal, one is distal. I have not told you much about the ulnar nerve because it's a very crazy nerve. It's like paradox. Simple paradox. You know what the paradox is? What it actually doesn't mean. When you're trying to say something, it doesn't mean that. That is paradox. I'll give you a small example. I'll give you a small example. Okay, I want to connect that predictor to the wall. But the wire doesn't go to the wall. So I got to get an extension, plug that into the extension, and then take that extension and plug it into the wall. Okay? At the same time, I would also want to use, let's say, my microphone audio system. So I got to connect it to that same extension wire. Right? Just two of them. One for the audio, one for the Now if I go there, to the main socket and pull the socket out. There's no power to hold it there, right? If I cut my alma nerve more proximally, you expect complete total loss, right? No, that doesn't happen. That is what is called alma paradox. So if there's an injury of the alma nerve at the elbow, you get a partial problem. But if there's an injury of the arm and nerve at the wrist, you get a total problem. You see, that's the opposite. When the nerve is injured further away, you expect very little damage. When it is proximally, you expect a whole lot of damage, right? But when it's proximal, it is partial. When it's distal, it is total. Total clock. When I say total clock, all the fingers are clock. When I say partial clock, you do not have clawing of these so it sort of resembles a median nerve, right? Median nerve enemies. So how does that happen next week? <laughs> By the time when we do forearm, this week, when we do forearm, you'll understand what it is. How this is up there. This is alma paradox. That's why I did not specifically get too much of the alma. Watch out of the